Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation highlights from the Meeting House on Faith Radio about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First up, you'll be hearing from Jonathan McKee, who is a youth ministry expert and is heard on Plugged In from Focus on the Family, providing some insight into the use of screens by teenagers. And successful businessman Jeff Reeder offers some challenging words about evaluating one's life and perhaps considering making a change if there is dissatisfaction incorporating biblical principles. Also from the Windshape Foundation and Windshape teams, Russell Surratt and Rusty Chadwick bring some clarity into areas of leadership and creating a team mentality. And on this edition of The Intersection, it's Rick Hagens of Harvest Evangelism in the East Alabama area, which operates His Place for Men and Hosanna Home for Ladies who are struggling with life-controlling addictions. He brings some refreshing perspective on God's work through the ministry, even during a pandemic. Finally, you'll be hearing from Rachel Dodge, who uses the story of Anne of Green Gables and some of its characters and themes in order to inspire believers to grow in the Lord. This is The Intersection, a production of The Meeting House, and I'm Bob Crittenden. Jonathan McKee is a youth ministry specialist who serves as one of the speakers on the Plugged In radio feature for Focus on the Family. He spoke with me about the book he has co-written with his daughter Alyssa called Teen's Guide to -to Face-to-Face Connections in a Screen-to-Screen World, 40 Tips to Meaningful Communication. From that conversation, this is Jonathan McKee now. On one hand, this is this is the hot issue. This is the issue that, like, when I teach a parent workshop, guaranteed afterwards when a parent comes up to me, the question is not going to be about curfews or friends or this or that. It's going to be about devices. It's going to be, what you know, how do I get my daughter to stop scrolling through social media endlessly and never looking her, you know, eyes up from the screen at all? How do I get my son to stop playing video games all the time? You know, how much is social media affecting our kids' self-esteem. I mean, these, these are the issues of parenting today. And so it was interesting to not just tackle this myself, but to bring a young person along. And, and Alyssa, she had just graduated from college. She was working with students. Uh, she was working at a college as a college counselor. So she was hanging out with, you know, young people all the time. You know, I'd call her a young person myself. I mean, she's my, she's my baby girl. And, uh, and here we said, Let, let's talk about this because Alyssa and I both love our screens. Screens are great. Uh, but sometimes what we notice is that, you know, screens are great for connecting with people outside the room when they don't interfere with the people inside the room. So we thought, let's address this. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's not say screens are bad or screens are evil, but it was fun for us both from you know someone from her generation someone from my generation to say okay how is it that we can you know you know enjoy our screens but not let them you know hurt our relationships and hurt our mental health we live in a culture where the average young person gets a smartphone at 10 years old when most experts are saying stop handing your kids screens you know and so parents are kind of blindly just handing kids screens and going, what are you going to do? You know, and, and, and they don't know how to counsel their kids about screens because they're like, you know more about this thing than me, so here you go. And, and we basically live in a world where, I mean, think about this. It's almost as if a bunch of 10- and 11-year-olds are walking up to mom and dad and saying, hey, can I have the car keys? And dad is just throwing them the keys to the SUV and just saying, here you go, 10- and 11-year-olds out there. And, and when really we need to think of this is, hey, you know, I mean, with something as, you know, when it comes to the responsibility necessary for a vehicle, what do we do? We wait till they're a certain age. We 
train them on how to use a vehicle. They sit next with us, and we teach them how to merge, how to drive, how to do this. Uh, and, then, and then they actually have to take a test to get, you know, to be able to drive that vehicle. And then even then for the first year or so, it's like, okay, you can't have a bunch of friends in the car. You can't have the radio, distractions. But yet, what do we do with a smartphone? We just hand them this thing with no directions at all. When, when we've got people like the American Academy of Pediatrics saying, hey, moms, dads, no screens in the bedroom. But yet 79% of teenagers bring their screens to the bedroom every night and they're up all night and it's no wonder we're having problems and honestly there's not enough people talking about this and it's one of the things where and that's the reason to listen i really thought let's give parents a tool that they can actually talk with their kids about this instead of overreacting what if we can help them interact not overreact with their kids and talk about some of these important issues jonathan as we close Please, if you would, give to the Christian parents in our audience some practical steps that they can take. I jotted down the word boundaries, maybe how you can set some boundaries or some limits that teens can follow with respect to their social media behavior, some wisdom for them. So what would you say? I would say again that, you know, we don't want to overreact. We want to turn our overreaction into interaction. So, so think of when, you know, there's, there's connection and there's correction. And I would just say, make sure that we connect with our kids before we correct our kids. Make sure that we're focusing on bonding before boundaries. Now, I'm not saying don't have rules. Again, we live in a world where, you know, 8 out of 10 young people bring their phones to the bedroom every night when your family doctor is saying, no, no screens in the bedroom. So that would be a perfect example of a boundary that say, hey, you know what? I, I'm glad you got a screen. Let's learn how to be responsible with it. But sorry, I'm going to take that at night. You know, it's a free service I provide as mom and dad. We're going to charge that thing for you in our bedroom. You know, it's not going to be in your bedroom at night. That's a good boundary to have. But make sure you're having those conversations. And that's why I listen. I wrote this book because a lot of parents are like, well, I don't even know how to have a conversation. So each of these chapters has discussion questions at the end of it. This is a great guide to sit down and take your kid to breakfast or talk about with your kid over, you know, over dinner and, and, and start talking about some of these issues like predators and self-esteem and where sometimes uh, social media takes us to unhealthy places. Start dialoguing about this in our home. We need to have these conversations with kids. Jonathan McKee here on The Intersection. You can find out more by visiting the website becomingscreenwise.com. Next up on this edition of The Intersection, it's successful businessman Jeff Reeder. He has worked as a financial manager and has been an advisor to Dr. Ben Carson. In our recent conversation, he related some of the principles that he includes in his book, Do Life Differently, A Strategic Path Toward Extraordinary. From that conversation, this is Jeff Reeder now. First of all, let me say this. I wrote this book, the what I refer to it as, a sheep in wolves clothing book. So the book doesn't talk a lot about Jesus or being in Christ as a new creation. The book doesn't talk even a lot about the Bible, although it says over and over, I think something like 17 times, you know, it, it talks about an age-old statement or in the book I read daily or in the favorite book, from you know my favorite book on the planet it says this and you know and so non-believers aren't offended by it but 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 for us that are believers for us that love jesus with all of our heart the thought process here is that christ came that we might have life and have it to the full have it abundantly have it in a way that is different that is extraordinary that is not common 
And too many of us as believers are, are living a life without the powerful, powerful nature of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Uh, I think about uh, how many Christians around us are exhibiting love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control in a way that is the aroma of Christ mm. in our firm, in our home, in our community, in our church even. Uh, and so this book is about challenging us to claim the promises that Christ gave us that were available to us as a new creation and as a as an abiding Christian, as we would find in John 15. What keeps us from really exhibiting who the Bible says we are? And number two, how do we get there? How do we shift our lives? Or I guess, how do we allow God to shift our lives to the point where we're really exhibiting what what God wants us to demonstrate to the world? So, Bob, this idea of being... In living life in a in the context of biblical pursuit, um, much more than is normal in our world, running after the what's true, what's honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Um, if we're going to watch CNN or we're going to watch Fox News, watch it from the, in the context of it not being our truth, but watching it in the context of needing news, needing awareness, but but having optimistic reality or realistic optimism for what we're hearing because of what Christ did for us and because God is still in control. Uh, to me, that's a huge opportunity for us to be countercultural in a world that is so desperately hopeless. What do you see as the role of the mind in experiencing this extraordinary life that you write about? Oh, I love that question. Um, I'm out here at our ranch right now and actually spending the week out here with a group of 13 new advisors that are joining our firm. And they are just extraordinary, exceptional people. The diversity of them, the, the beauty of their hearts is just unbelievable. Yesterday, I unpacked for them a pretty strong conversation about their mind, and truly the context of it was about fear, and uh, so many of us are dealing with fear, which is triggered in our mind by a little uh, place in there called the amygdala, and the amygdala triggers, and we have fear, and we have fear about things we can't control, and, and fear about things that uh, may or may not be something we should fear. And so we spent time yesterday saying, you know, you should fear God. And here we are at our ranch. It's a working cattle ranch. You should probably fear a snake that is poisonous. You should even possibly fear Bobby the bull out in the pasture. But at the end of the day, our amygdala is triggering too much. And so what is our mind supposed to be dwelling on? And how do we live a life of realistic optimism as opposed to a life of pessimism. I think that is a significant thing for us to vision because if we're in Christ, we have every reason to realistically be optimistic. We're going to win in the end because God is going to prevail, and we know that scripturally. Jeff Reeder here on The Intersection. You can find out about the book by going to dolifedifferentlybook.com. 
Now on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, you'll be hearing from Russell Surratt, Senior Director for Windshape Teams, and Rusty Chadwick, Director for Windshape Teams, part of the Windshape Foundation. In our conversation, they discuss principles of leadership and teamwork related to their book entitled Teamwork, 13 Timeless Principles for Creating Success and Fulfillment as a Team Member. From that conversation here now are Russ Surratt and Rusty Chadwick. Our goal is to put the interests of others before the interests of ourselves, uh, to serve rather than to be served. And so really the heart of this book is to say, when we approach a team with that perspective and not so much looking to say, hey, what can I get out of this for me? But if I can serve the other members of the team and the common goal of this team, then not only does that produce uh, an effective result for the team, but it also brings great personal fulfillment and and in doing so, we're honoring that call of scripture to to put others first. And uh, and so that's really the, the, the foundation there. Talk about this whole area of self-awareness and how teams can actually build that, because that certainly can be a factor that can be cert- that can be powerful with respect to the effectiveness of a team. Yeah, Bob, self-awareness is so so key to how we relate to others. And I mean, we think about our whole lives, we're getting this feedback, you know, you you have apply for the sports team and you get picked last and that kind of tells you maybe maybe you're not going to go pro here um, and so we're, we're used to getting uh, to getting feedback all through our lives but sometimes in a team context there are areas that are blind spots things we don't see uh, you know other team members may recognize that we're not as great at public speaking as we think we are but we always try to claim that role or you know perhaps there's a, a situation where we dominate team meetings with our point of view and we don't realize that we're not allowing others to share their thoughts. And so there's, it's, it's really critical that we as team members are able to be humble and look to others and say, help me to see the things about myself that I don't see, because I want to be better. I want to be better for this team. I want to serve better. I want to do things in a way that's helpful and not just in the way that I think is right. And that's one of the principles we really share in the book is, is, is it's more important to be helpful than it is to be right. And so that requires a look. So you can uh, look at yourself and that can come through taking assessments where we learn about ourselves. That can come through conversations uh, of feedback where we ask others to, to help us to see those things. Uh, there's a practice that we use sometimes in our teams. Where we'll, we call it start, stop, continue. And it's a way to ask others, what's something I should start doing, stop doing, and continue doing? And this just gives folks a chance to share with us some things about ourselves that we may not see, but that can be really helpful uh, for the team as a whole. It, it's also really helpful because it allows us to know, you know, what what things should I own and what things should I let someone else own? Uh, and if I'm constantly trying to do things that I'm not great at, doesn't serve the team well, uh, I may be preventing someone else from an opportunity to do something that would really allow them to, to serve uh, more effectively than I could. And so self-awareness is, is so important there. And you're right. It really comes back to uh, an attitude of humility that says, I want to know uh, and, and kind of learn about myself so I can I can be more helpful to the group. What have you found to be maybe a guiding principle or two with respect to resolving conflict? Yeah, conflict, the, the conflict, I think it stems from unmet expectations. And uh, there's this gap between what we're expecting and, and where reality falls. And so I think when that gap gets pretty wide, we often kind of fill those things in uh, with our own uh, perceptions. And oftentimes those things can be can be pretty destructive. So I think the, the biggest thing is uh, to ask questions and to make sure that your expectations 
are very clear. Oftentimes we have expectations of somebody else. They don't even realize it. You know, I think about maybe an example with uh, my wife and I, where um, I expect her to do something, but I've never said, I've never told her that I expect that. So then how does it make sense for me to get frustrated with her when she doesn't even know that I'm expecting that of her? So we've got to communicate really well what our expectations are. And I think we also have to listen uh, from the other person and what their expectations are of us. And I think when we when we can start from a place of clear expectation, well, then we can begin to say, okay, where is the gap? Where are we not meeting expectation? And oftentimes I think we'll find that just clarifying expectations alone gets us a, a good part of the way there. I would say a second thing is just finding some common ground. Um, oftentimes we get so uh, kind of upset with people over the stuff where we don't agree. And when we realize that most of the things we do agree on, and so we waste all our energy on the things where we don't agree. And that's where that conflict really builds. Whereas if we could step back, really look at where do we agree? Where can we start? Then you can build on the parts that you agree and then address the ones that you don't. Rusty Chadwick and Russ Surratt here on The Intersection. You can find out more by going to teamworkbook.co. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Find out more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. You'll find a link to the Media Center. That's where you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured on The Intersection Podcast. There's a link to the podcast through that homepage. You can find it in the Media Center as well as through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page, and there's a link to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations with guests from the Meeting House can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Continuing now with this edition of the Intersection Podcast, Rick Hagens is the founder of Harvest Evangelism, a ministry based in East Alabama. In our recent conversation, he shared about the challenges that the programs offered for men at his place and women at Hosanna Home who have life-controlling addictions have faced in the past year. He also provided some encouragement about God's faithfulness. Here now is Rick Hagens. During covid we didn't stop ministry. We've just had to step differently, and it has been hard. I want to be honest with you and your listeners. It has been extremely difficult because a big part of our income through the years has been visiting churches. We share our stories. Churches give us an offering. Members of that church have been very generous no matter where we go. I, I told you a story. I was preaching up in North Alabama, and the church was very generous and gave me a check, $500. This was a couple of years ago before covid and uh, when I was leaving, a young couple, a very young couple came and said, listen, we want to give something personal. God's blessed us immensely. They gave me a check. I opened up that check on the way home. That check was $25,000. That's how God works. One way or another, he's kept us open. But this year has been so difficult that it's been hard. It's been very hard. You know, we do 300 meals every day. We've got 50, 60, 70 men, women and children we take care of you got to feed them. you got to pay the power bill. When 
We've got 15 different buildings. Hosanna Home is 40,000 square feet, all with single-pane windows and no insulation. So my power bill can be high. It can be four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 a month just for electricity because it's a big old building, but at least they're not sleeping outside on the streets where they get molested and raped and, and hurt really bad sometimes. And so I had some business guys come to me, good guys, love the Lord, but they said business-wise thinking, they said, Rick, you're going to have to shut down either his place or Hosanna. You're going to have to kill one to save the other. And I said, I can't do that. I'm telling you, it will kill me. And I told those visitors, do you, do you want to send these women back on the street where they'll be raped and hurt and killed? Do you want to send these children back on the street where terrible, terrible things happen to them? We, we get women. We've got a woman right now that just was rescued out of sex traffic. She was held as a sex slave for months and months until she could escape. You want to send her back to that? Or do you want to send the men at his place back on the street where they're going to get murdered? We had a guy get murdered this year who used to be at his place, and he was back out on the streets down in South Alabama, and somebody put the whack to him and, and, and killed him. I said, I can't do that. This is kind of like Solomon with the, the two women with the one baby. I said, his mm -hmm. place and Hosanna home are really one entity. And I said, I, I'm not going to kill either one of them. I, we'll go down in flames together before I put one of them on the altar to be sacrificed. I always believe God will have a ram in a thicket. I'm not going to kill you know, my eyes. And you know what? God somehow, some way has made a way. It's been very, very difficult, but somehow, some way. I had a stranger come in my thrift store just this week. He heard we were going to have to quit going to church because our vehicles are all broke down. They're wore out. My church van's got 260,000 miles on it and bullet holes through the back windows where it got caught in a drug crossfire. We've been driving it to church with the window falling out piece by piece on the men that go in. And a stranger walked in last week and said, hey, I heard you need a van for my newsletter from Rambling with Rick. And he said, here's a check. I just bought you a brand new van. And I said, you want to go to his place or Hosanna home? All our vans are pretty broke down. He said, well, you give this one to the men. Let the men be first this time because they got bullet holes in their van. He said, but next week I'm going to buy the women a new van too. Now, that's God. I didn't ask that man. He didn't really know the depths of our need. But our father is faithful. I remind people, if you've ever read George Mueller, and if you hadn't, you need to, George Mueller took care of 2,500 orphans in England back at the turn of the century, and he always said, God will meet these needs. God will meet their needs. I love George Mueller so much. My baby son is named Mueller. You better believe in George Mueller to name a kid <laughs> Mueller. That's a tough name to live with. <laughs> but I believe in what George Mueller taught, and God has been faithful to meet our needs, even though I'll be honest. COVID has caused me very creative, and it's been very difficult, but that difficulty has only become different. It's just been different. God's our supplier. He's faithful. Uh, there is no COVID in heaven. I tell people John 3.16 trumps COVID-19. COVID-19 ain't got nothing on Philippians 4.19. COVID ain't got nothing on, uh, you know, Jeremiah 29.11. There are certain scriptures that you just grab a hope to during these difficult times, and what you grab a hope to is the hem of his garment and say, Jesus, meet these needs. These are your broken sons and daughters. Uh, these are the least of these, and whatever we do for the least of these, we do unto the Lord. And somehow, some way, God's been faithful. We ain't shut his place down. We ain't shut Hosanna on down. We ain't even slowed down. Rick Hagan's here on The Intersection. You can find out more about the ministry through the website harvestevangelism.org. 
Finally, on this edition of The Intersection, you'll be hearing from Rachel Dodge. She is the author of the book, The Anne of Green Gables Devotional, a chapter-by-chapter companion for kindred spirits. She uses the classic story and some of its characters and themes in order to inspire believers to grow in the Lord. Here now is Rachel Dodge. Two things. I mean, some of these authors actually do have some wonderful faith elements built into their literature. And, you know, they they had some of that on purpose. Some of it is more subtle. But with Jane Austen, she wrote prayers. And so I was able to take some of the some of the wonderful moments in her literature and combine that with her prayers and scripture, put together that devotional. Um, and then with the Anna Green Gables devotional, there are so many wonderful moments. Some of them are Anne's own journey, the main character's own journey and spiritual life and the things that are happening as she learns to pray and goes to church and, you know, does that sort of thing. And then some of it is just all the things that we can learn from anything that happens in our lives. And I think for me, that's one of my main passions as a devotional writer and just as a follower of Christ is that, you know, just to be able to look around the world and see that God has lessons for us in everything, but then especially we can look at stories and stories are so powerful and they really tug at our heartstrings. And so to take a really beautiful story that you maybe love, that you grew up with, or that you love to come back to, and be able to extract faith moments and uh, see what God could teach us from that, for me, is really fun. I'd like for you at this moment to give us just a bit of a summary, maybe a cliff notes, spark notes, even smaller than a mini cliff notes version of the book or the story and of Green Gables, for those that may not be that familiar with the overall story. Yeah, Yeah, so the book Anna Green Gables is written by Lucy Maud Montgomery, and it was published in 1908, and it is the story of a little girl named Anne Shirley who is an orphan, and she's been an orphan since she was a baby, and she is at an orphanage when uh, an older couple, not an older couple, sorry, I should say older people, a brother and sister, Matthew and Marilla Cuthbert, they ask for an orphan to come that they want to adopt, but they ask for a boy because they need some help on the farm. They're getting older. And instead, Anne shows up by mistake. And so the whole story unfolds as the characters are surprised. At first, they try to, you know, they think we'd better send her back. Um, but eventually, they see that actually, they they actually in the book say that the Almighty knew we needed her. And they realized that maybe we didn't expect a little girl to come through the door, but what we actually need is this little girl and she needs us so badly. And so the rest of the story is about Anne learning to um, belong there, all the different scrapes she gets into. She's imaginative. She is funny. She is such an emotional person, um, loves people. And so the rest of the story is all of the adventures that she has as she grows up, goes to school and all of that, makes friends and gets to know all the people in that small village. And it's a very beautiful story because it's so much of it's about that longing that each of us has to be adopted, to belong somewhere, to feel like we have a forever home. And that, that thread goes through the whole novel. So how did the, the various backstories of these characters really contribute to the, the writing of the book? How are they showcased? Well, so 
for the background of Anne, I mean, she really does come from a place where she's never been wanted and never, no one's ever wanted to adopt her. She's gone through a series of foster homes where at the time, uh, foster children at that time were really known for just being used as kind of household servants, if that makes sense. And so she's never, ever been loved or wanted or cherished. And so her backstory comes into the a lot of the devotional entries just through her own desire to be loved, to feel like she belongs somewhere, to be accepted. And, um, and that, then I am able to tie that in, of course, with our own desire and God's love for us, the way he's adopted us in through faith in Christ into, you know, his family. And um, then Matthew and Marilla, they're, like I said, they are brother and sister. Neither of them ever been married or had a family. So for them, there's a lot of uh, their backstory that comes in throughout the devotional, where we get to look at someone who kind of gave up on thinking she would ever be a mom, and all of a sudden, surprise, you're a yep. mom, and and what happens when God takes us on divine detours? <laughs> and for Matthew, he's that father figure throughout the book, and so we're able to relate to that and see how much he loves and takes care of Anne, and that we can get a glimpse, a fictional glimpse of how God sees us. Rachel Dodge here on The Intersection. Her website address is racheldodge.com. We are nearing the conclusion of this week's edition of The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House, and you can find out more through meetinghouseonline.info or by clicking on the Meeting House link when you go to the programming section at faithradio.org. There's a link to the Media Center, the place you can go to listen to or download full conversations with recent guests on the Meeting House program. There's also a link to the Intersection podcast. It can be found at the Media Center and through iTunes. Two blogs are accessible. One is The Three with three stories of relevance to the Christian community, and the other is The Front Room with devotional thoughts and commentary from the Meeting House program. And you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. There's also a link to video content. Again, that website address, meetinghouseonline.info, or you can go to the programming section at faithradio.org. Conversations with guests from the Meeting House program can also be found through the Faith Radio app and a variety of podcast platforms. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.